Hey, it's Scott Petrick with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. It was only four days ago that the Browns collapsed in the final two minutes to lose 31-30 to the Jets in the in an embarrassing home opener. Yet, the Browns will be back on the field tonight at First Energy Stadium to face the hated Steelers. Here, as always, to discuss it all is Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. Hey, Chud. Scott, I'll tell you, that was brutal. Uh, and I know people are probably getting tired of talking about it. But, of course, uh, you know, that's what we're going to do here. We need to do that. But we're also going to look ahead to the uh, Steelers big time here because we do need to move forward at some point. Uh, but at least for our purposes, you know, we got to look back at that. And I can't remember a game. You know, I, I think in this business we've learned how many times have you written a story and had to change it last minute because the game flow changes or something happens. But this goes beyond any level I can ever remember. I mean, when Chubb scored that touchdown, I, I thought it was 100% over. I, I just can't believe they lost that game. Yeah, um, I can't believe they lost it either. Uh, I've seen some really bad Browns losses. You know, I don't have that file on hand, right? I don't need to look back. Um, you know, you always go back to the Dwayne Rudd helmet because the game was over and then it wasn't. I was in Chicago for that game in 2001, you know, there's some stat from ESPN that there'd been 2,229 straight games where if a team led by 13 points with like 83 seconds left, they had won. Um, and the Browns were the last team not to do it. And it was 2001 in Chicago. And I was there covering that. I wasn't on the beat yet, but I was doing some columns and stuff and Chicago's an easy trip and whatever. So, and back then you used to go on the field at the end of game. So I was on the field and there was touchdown, onside kick, Hail Mary, pick six in overtime for the Browns to lose. Um, so <laughs> there have been other games like this, but not a lot of them and not in recent memory, not in the home opener, right? Not to a Jets team that the Browns should have beaten, not when the Browns have a better team than they've had in the past, right? For 20 years you go, well, the Browns are terrible. Well, I don't think the Browns are terrible, so that's a game you should win. Um so, yeah, I mean, there's just so much there. Um, and, yeah, they, they should have won it. They needed a million things to go wrong for them to lose it. And all million things went wrong. Yeah. So, just to feed off what you just said there, you just named the games. I'm going to add one more in, which actually a buddy of mine brought up, and I, I just totally forgot about it. But I will say that I think this is top four uh, and you could put it wherever you want in that four based on, and I'm not going to bring up fumble drive or anything before 99. Yeah. This I, I'm, I'm keeping this all 99. The, nothing will ever be worse than the drive and fumble for me and for, for you and most Browns fans. That's a different level, right? But at least with the drive and fumble, you could conceivably see those things happen. Like, I mean, it is possible that a team could go 98 yards or that someone could fumble. They're heartbreaking losses, but you could see it. This is just one it's like almost impossible to see it happening and all the things that had to happen. Um, but it's this game immediately after this game, I thought back to that bears game. And then I saw that stat you're talking about on Twitter with the bears game. I thought back to that bears game and remember that game. I think it was a four o'clock game. And I remember the lights being on, right. Yeah. Wasn't it a four o'clock? That sounds I, right. I, yeah. yeah. I, I just feel like it was, it, it, maybe it was one, but I feel like it was a four o'clock game. And I remember having that feeling back because it had been so long after they moved for three years and then the terrible 99. And that's where you really started feeling, well, maybe the, 
it felt like a real football game again. And that one hurt. I remember that one. Um, so that's right there. Obviously, Rudd, uh, I was at that game. That's You could argue that's number one. The other one, though, is the Steelers-Browns playoff game. I mean, they really collapsed uh, in that one. Yeah, I mean, Dennis, Dennis Nordcutt drops that ball. They probably win the game if he catches it. Yeah, right, and they were up at halftime. They were up in the third quarter, fourth quarter. That's a good one. Yep. I, you know what? That's interesting. I did not cover that game, and I've only called off sick, I don't know, knock on wood, a handful of days in my 30 years working or 20, however many years working. Um, but I actually did not make the trip to Pittsburgh because, like, I couldn't get out of bed. So maybe that's why it oh, doesn't – I mean, I watched the game, obviously. Um, but maybe that's why it slips my mind sometimes because I actually wasn't in the stadium and I was probably um, a little bit out of it watching it. But, yeah, that's – that's huge. The circumstances, playoffs, Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, that, that should be on that list for sure. Yeah, I um, I remember watching it in Toledo. Uh, I had just flown back in from Ohio State winning the national championship. Uh, I was there for that live. Um, actually shot the game as a photographer on the field and uh, came back for that one. That, now, that was after Run William Run, right? And uh, yeah, Donovan's yeah. call when they beat – yeah, so. Well, yeah, and you wow. mentioned how when – 2001 they were actually like started to play like a real team and you're right because I think they went seven to nine that year in Butch Davis's first year and they had games that got away like that game in Chicago right so it felt like they were they had turned some kind of corner at least after going whatever two and 14 the first two years or two and 14 and yeah. three and 13. well we'll think about it I mean because you know you know, 95, they were right on track, man. I mean, you know, the, the 94 at Belichick, right, they were right. starting to become good again. And then they're just, they were ripped away in 95. So, you know, you had 96, 97, 98, 99, too, the first two years they come back. I mean, you're talking about five, six years of not feeling big game football. Like, you know, it. so that's why that stands out to me. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, there's a whole, you know uh, – how many decades, I mean, what, two decades now, uh, how many Browns fans have never experienced what we have? I mean, just very far and few between. You know, you got the Steelers playoff win a couple of years ago, but, um, you know, big football games that really mean something. You know, we're, we're starving for that. Uh, and, and that's, you know, you know, maybe tonight we'll get that, uh, that big game feel against the Steelers. But uh, before we get on to that, though, you know, it's amazing – if they win that game, no one says a word about Nick Chubb. Right. I just don't think they do. Uh, maybe in passing, you could say, well, he, he should have, you know, gone to a knee or whatnot. But I, I just feel like I get it. For, and I want to I want to know where you stand. I get it for the people that say that he should have gone down and the game was over. But, you know, when it happened, I don't remember a ton of people talking about it when it happened. I see a video of Stefanski I, I saw on Twitter last night. Uh, it's not like he was complaining on his headset. Uh, that he should have gone down. And so many things had to happen. I mean, instead of talking about Chubb, why don't we talk about the secondary, which right. I've brought up to you multiple times on this podcast. How about the secondary just completely collapsing? I mean, do you blame Chubb? Well, I don't blame Chubb. I blame the Browns for Chubb not going out of bounds there. Because then the game yeah. is over. And we're not talking about the secondary. And we're not talking about an onside kick. If Chubb just runs out of bounds at the one yard line, because it's the two minute warning anyway. So it doesn't matter if he runs out of bounds. I think it's easier to run out of bounds than to fall down between the two and the goal line. Um, so I blame 
I blame the team for that not happening. And the conversation would be in completely different this week if Denzel Ward and Grant Delpit, whoever's to blame there, and we get into that. Um, yeah, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about Amari Cooper being a half second slow on the onside kick, or we're not rehashing Cade York missing the extra point, or Jacoby Brissett throwing a final desperation kind of desperation interception when he played great all day. If Chubb just runs out of bounds, and then the Browns take three knees, it's a seven point win, and it's two and zero for the first time since 1993. Right? Like it's completely a different scenario. And yes, a million things, the Browns did a million things wrong after that. So it's not yeah. just that. And it's not just Nick Chubb. And really, yeah. I don't put the most of the blame on Chubb. You know, he put some blame on himself when we talked to him Tuesday. And maybe he should have known better, right? Because he's been in that spot before. But I put it on the coaching staff for not in the huddle or, you know, through the headset saying, hey, we need a first down, but don't score. Like, right, that's – and I know they have code words. It's no mas, or that's what it was in 2020. Um, like, that should have been conveyed. And if it's conveyed, then it's on Nick Chubb to do so, and I have no doubt that Nick Chubb would have handled that appropriately. Um, yeah, now, I had a buddy that – and I don't know if he came up with this or he heard it somewhere else, but it was a good point. Um, with the way the Browns have turned into analytics now, are, are you kind of surprised that they, they missed that? Well, first of all, it's – yeah, well, I am surprised they missed it. But it's not analytics. All you have to do is add 40 seconds on the play clock three times and you get to two minutes. So it's not like some – you don't need a Harvard <laughs> degree to figure it out, right? Like, I mean, it's really simple. If you get to two yeah, minutes right. and you have a first down and the other team's out of timeouts, it's 40-40-40, the game's over. So that's what's surprising. Now, I, w- I was having this discussion last night with my uncle who's in from out of town. Like – if Kareem Hunt doesn't go out of bounds with 202 left, and he tried to stay in, but he couldn't. Then he hits a two-minute warning. Then there's plenty of time for Stefanski to say, hey, the game's over. We're taking a knee, right? Or, you know, we need one more first down. Then the game's over. Then whatever the situation is, at two minute, it's a two-minute warning. You have more time. And instead, Hunt goes out of bounds with 202 left. So I think that kind of – I think that played into it, that maybe – Everything just got going too fast, and there wasn't a time to pause. Um, but, yeah, he, Kevin Stefanski has people on his headset. There's a clock management guy, and Mike Prefer's supposed to help with that too, that should have said, hey, here's the spot. If we get a first down but not a touchdown, the game's over. And I am surprised that the Browns, for all the thinking they do and all the analytics they do, that they weren't on top of that in that moment. And at least that you know, Kevin Stefanski said he did not – Tell the huddle, and I'll take him at his word. So, and Nick Chubb and Brissett said the same thing. Petonio said the same thing. So, it's either Chubb has to take that on his own, which seems like it's asking a lot. I mean, he's in the heat of battle, right? Um, that's a job for the coaching staff and the guys in the booth. And I thought they failed them. Now, again, a bunch of other stuff goes wrong then. But if you if you take care of job one, then the rest of the jobs don't even need to be done. So, yeah, I put it – I think that's a big failure on – it's got to start with Kevin Stefanski because he's the guy in Jacoby Brissett's ear. Well, think about all the things that had to happen afterwards. Boy, didn't take long for the rookie to go from hero – I'm not going to call him a zero, but just for you, hero with the – 
I mean, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. Chad, you're fading it out there, but yeah, Cade York, right? He talked about not getting ahead of himself and not getting a big head, and I don't think he did. He just missed an extra point, but that started that chain of events. I mean, after Chubb scores, right? And then you're you're looking at 13 point lead. If he makes it, then the Jets have to score two touchdowns, kick two extra points, and then it's overtime. Or then they're faced with uh, do I, do they go for two points? when they score with 22 seconds left, right? It's a whole different it's a whole different mindset if you're the Jets. You're not thinking, hey, we get the ball back, we score, we win. You know, it's it's definitely different. And, yeah, Cade York, that's the first kick he's missed, and it's a pretty big one to miss. Yeah, disappointing to see that happen. Uh, you know, amazing that it could go from that one week to the next. That's the NFL. But listen, I, again, I think I asked you a couple of weeks ago, why does the secondary think they're one of the best in the league? I, I just I just have not been able to figure it out. They're, you know, I understand, you know, a lot of positions on this, and you could say best running game in the league or this or that. or Like, I get it visually. You see certain things, but I don't get the secondary yet. I just haven't been able to figure it out what happened yeah it's an interesting point chud i mean you know we talk about they think they're the best secondary it starts with you know denzel Williams, a pro bowl guy greg newsom thinks greg newsom the second thinks he's going to be elite they got good backups in greedy williams and martin emerson jr john johnson the third's a proven safety and then they have high hopes for grant delpit right former second round pick people in training camp thought it was going to be breakout year for him you also have Ronnie Harrison. So, like, there's some depth and talent there. The pro- And I don't think the problem's been talent. I think the problem's been, you know, they want to miscommunication, right? That's the umbrella that covers it all. But it's guys not getting the call right or guys being in the wrong call or playing it wrong. And obviously, when you make a mistake back there, it shows up. The world can see it. It leads to long touchdowns. And the Browns have given up way too many of those. And what it's long touchdowns, it's short touchdowns. They had a blown assignment on at the end of the first half that led to an easy 10-yard touchdown for the Jets. Um, you know, and Denzel Ward and Grant Delpit were over there, but then Jeremiah Wusikormoa said Tuesday that he was at fault. He, he, maybe he should have been in man coverage there and got to the flat for the running back. Um, but there's a breakdowns that can't happen. It shouldn't happen, can't happen, keep happening. And until they're fixed, yeah, you can't mention the secondary with anybody in the top 10 in the league because top 10 secondaries don't let that happen repeatedly. We saw it at the beginning of last year and it got cleaned up. We've seen it way too many times in the first two games. And, you know, it's tough to tell on some of these who's to blame. You know, Denzel Ward said he was in cover two and he was doing his job, but there's a bunch of people that know football that say they were in a cover three and he was the only guy playing the cover two. And Grant Delpit, then, you know, he would not point any fingers. And I think it bothered him that Denzel Ward kind of threw Grant out of the bus because if it's not, if Ward's not in a, if Ward's not at fault, then it must be Delpit because he was the next closest guy and didn't look like he was playing deep enough. Um, you know, I know a lot of people Uh-oh. want to blame Joe, blame Joe Woods, the coordinator. And obviously, yeah. it's, it's on the coaches to get these guys in the right position. Having said that, the players say the, it's the communication be, among each other. And it's not the play's not coming in wrong from the sideline or delayed. It's like the players aren't getting it to each other. So, um, ton of blame to go around so, there. And I and I don't. So like who do you blame? Game. Well, that's the thing. Who, who, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I blame the players. Can I collectively blame the players? Um, it, it's happened to more than one, right? It's not Denzel Ward every time. It's not Greg Newsom every time. I don't think it's Grant Delpit every time. So I'm going to collectively blame the secondary um, and the players. I, I, I understand that coaches get to blame for everything. And I'm not saying Joe Woods isn't without blame, but I'm going to put it on the players because I, to me, the, like Kevin Spansky said that they sat the players down before that drive and said, we can't give up deep plays. So to me, it feels like if you're Denzel Ward in that situation, how do you not run with Corey Davis? Like that seems like the right thing to do, no matter what the call you think you're in, you know, um, if you're Grant Delpit, doesn't it feel like you should be deeper there? Regardless of what, you know, what coverage you're in, like, and I'm not saying they should not listen to the coaches, but Kevin Spansky said he liked the call. So the problem is with the players, I think, and whether that's not being smart enough, whether it's just not paying enough attention, um, you know, and they talk over, we need to over communicate, over communicate. Um, but I put it on the players for not being in the right spot. And again, it was Greg Newsom in Carolina, right? It was Newsom in Delpit on that 75-yard post. Here it was Newsom and or here it was Ward and Delpit on that 66-yard touchdown. Um, there's just too many guys involved to blame one, but I put it on the players, and I, I think they should they should know better and do better. So Scott, gr- great feedback there, but I you know. You were in the locker room on Tuesday. I think I heard you say you didn't like the way it was handled after. Is there concern by you that yeah. this could bleed and, and be an issue moving forward with the players? Yeah, it, there is, Chud, and, and I wrote about it in my preview today. Um, I think it's a test of resilience and chemistry with this team right now. Um, how far, you know, how fast can they get past that terrible loss? And then are they all on the same page? And not just from a communication standpoint, from a, hey, we're in this together standpoint. I did not like how Denzel Ward went on Twitter to say he wasn't to blame and then told us that he was in the, you know, he did the right thing um, because I felt like that was really putting the focus on Grant Delpit when it may or not have been Grant Delpit's fault. And Kevin Stefanski talked about not pointing fingers. So, and I didn't, and we talked to Grant Delpit and he did not want to talk to us, but he did. And he's kept saying, you know, give really short answers and kept repeating himself. But when he got asked about Ward saying that, you know, I think he said, hey, I'm not going to play the blame game. He looked, to me, he looked obviously bothered by it. So I I think that was part of the players-only defensive meeting that was held that Greg Newsom talked about on the Kevin Stefanski's radio show. Um, I I think that needed to be hashed out. Now, I think the guys are close. Like, I've never gotten the sense that the secondary is not close. I think they're friends and all that kind of thing. So I think there's, I think they have the foundation to get past this. But I think it needed to be addressed because not only do you see guys on the field like kind of looking at each other frustrated and confused and there's why weren't you there kind of thing, when it bleeds over into public comments, I don't think that's a great look. And I think that needed to be addressed. And hopefully they'll be able to put in the past and they play great from here on out and they beat the Steelers and it's water under the bridge. But I do think that's a hurdle that needed to be cleared or needs to be cleared. Yeah, I I stand by what you say, blaming the players. They got to get it done. But at the same point, you know, we've talked about this many times and you hear this all over town on, on, you know, 
different places you hear it that, you know, the, the whole thing with Deshaun Watson and missing a year and this is our window and, and, and this is the Browns window and they got to get it done. Right. At some point, if the defense, if it continues to be like this, then, then I think you do have to, you know, and again, don't, I never want to call for someone's job, but at some point Woods has to be accountable then because, you know, this thing's not going to work if, if this defense continues to do this. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I, I just think it's, you know, I think it's a little early in the season. I, I, I look back at how he fixed things in the second half of last year and the defense played so much better. Now, part of it leads to the disappointment in the rough start because it looked like they had solved a lot of those problems. Um, but I do think there's a little bit of precedent for Joe Woods figuring stuff out um, and the defense figuring stuff out. So, yeah, I, I get that it's a it's an unbelievable loss and it could haunt them and it puts them in a terrible spot and, you know, you're trying to get to 4-0 and in this soft schedule, soft part of the schedule, and you just gave away an easy opportunity. And we said all that. Um, I don't like when the only finger is pointed at Joe Woods. And I get a lot of those texts on game day, the fire Joe Woods text. And part of it's tongue in cheek because guys have been saying it for two years. Um, but I, I just think that's, I just think it's a little off base. If we can win these next two games and go three and one, I think we'll be able to put this in the rear view. However, game cost them something then we'll continue. I mean, we're never going to forget about this game. I, I'm not saying that. Right. I'm just saying this game will be costly if it continues to bleed on from here on out. But if they can recover tonight and then win again the following week, you could just you can mentally try to say, well, you know, they it could have been the loss to the Steelers. Or yeah. I, I know you'll go, not you personally necessarily, but everyone will be like, well, they should be 4-0. We're going to be saying that all year. But you get what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I, basically what I'm saying is they got to respond to this. Yeah, no, I think I think you're completely right, and you never know how. Like if they had won, if they had beaten the Jets, maybe they don't come in with the same focus to beat the Steelers, right? And maybe they lose to the Steelers, and at the end, you're still three and one. So, um, yeah, I, I think how they respond is incredibly important. And again, this was a brutal loss, but that happens in the league. Now, it might not happen to the same degree in the same exact circumstances, right? But the Raiders lost on a last-second touchdown and two-point conversion in overtime the other day, right? That loss stings for the Raiders. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to quantify. Does it sting more, sting less, whatever. Um, but there's there's crazy losses in this league over and over, and it's how you deal with them. And it's you can't let, like Batonio says, you can't let one turn into two, right? You have to be able to move on. And the Browns are confident they can, but until I see it, um, I need to see. You always say that, right? Well, I need to see yeah. tonight. I need to see tonight that the Browns have moved past it, that they're not, that the chemistry's okay, that the loss hasn't lingered, all those things. And we're going to find out pretty quickly tonight if that's the case, right? If they come out and play well early, if they don't have those defensive breakdowns, they'll be okay. They handled it the right way. Um, but if they come out in their lack energy or lack focus, then I think it's, I think it'd be fair to all I have to do is look back to Sunday and go, okay, there was a carryover effect. Yeah. One more thing, and then I want to get to the Steelers. What did you think about? And I'm sure you saw what Jimmy had to say, Jimmy Donovan had to say about the fans booing and you know, Miles Garrett said what yeah. he said. Uh, you know, what's your did you see what Jimmy said? What's your take on it? I did. And uh 
yeah, how do you feel about the booing situation? Yeah, it, it's. A, I did see what Jimmy said. It's interesting. I, I think, first of all, you as a player, you can never be right criticizing the fans. Whether or not the fans deserve criticism, um, you're never right criticizing the fans. So I think it was probably just unwise of Miles Garrett to, you know, criticize the fans. Um, I'll say this. I have no problem with fans booing in the fact that they have that right. You know, they pay the money. They put in their heart and souls to this team. And that's how they want to express themselves. They have that right. Um, I just don't think it does any good. You know, like it makes you feel better, right? I understand that if you're a fan that's really frustrated, that that makes you feel better to boot. But it doesn't, like, I don't think it makes the players play any harder. I don't think all of a sudden Miles Garrett's going to come out because, oh my gosh, I don't want to get booed tonight. Like, he's already playing hard. All these guys are playing hard. And, it, and if you think they're not playing hard, they're not going to play hard because you boo them, you know? So I understand why fans boo. Um, I don't know if it's the greatest look. I do think there's something to be said for, I don't know, unconditional support. You know, like, hey, this is my team. You know, I'm going to ride or die with them. And, you know, and I, this might be a, a terrible comparison. But if you're willing to say, hey, I'm going to root for this team, even though they signed Deshaun Watson because they're my team, is that is that is blowing a late lead any worse? Of course it's not worse, like, from an ethical standpoint, right? But you're okay booing that, but you're not okay booing, you know, other stuff. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm probably not expressing myself like I want to, but it's fine for the fans to boo. I get it. I completely get the frustration. And I think Miles Garrett should not have criticized the fans. I also don't know if booing actually does anything, you know. And Of course it doesn't. Yeah, no, I mean. So I'm like, yeah, Miles shouldn't have said it. But I like I don't know if I actually I don't think I would not criticize the fans for booing. I get it. I just don't. And again, I don't go to a lot of games as a fan, right? Occasional Guardians game, I'll go watch Northwestern every once in a while. Like I scream at the TV watching Northwestern. But if I were in the stands, like I don't think I would boo in the stands. But maybe I would. So, um, so yeah, I'm not criticizing the fans at all. Um, but then again, I'm not really criticizing Miles just because that's how he felt, right? Like he didn't think they should boo. Now, I don't think he should have said it because it brought a lot of backlash upon him. Um, but he has the right to feel like, hey, we're at home. We shouldn't be booed, I guess. Yeah. Well, well, number one, I think your Watson comparison, I know where you're going with that. I think people will kind of understand that. So, no, yeah. I think you did that well. Number two, you've probably been booing and throwing stuff at the TV for a long time with Northwestern. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, I was you, just – I, you know, I wish I, like, I know I used to, like, I used to go to games and scream at, like, basketball games and scream at the opponents and stuff. Yeah. But, and I watched a lot of football losses. I watched a lot of basketball losses when I was there, too. Um, but, it'd be, like, I really don't think I booed, but I could have. So, I, I, I'm kind of curious to know if I, like, booed back then or, you know, like, I went and watched them get killed by Ohio State a few years ago. And, like, I don't think I booed. I think I just sat there not doing anything, right, because they're getting killed. Um, yeah. but again, it's, it's different too. Like this was a loss. Like it felt like a win and then it was ripped away. Like I, I get it. I really do. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I, there's people out there that don't think you should boo like ever. And I kind of get that. I kind of understand that point too, you know? 
So, uh, you know, I guess I'm a little wishy-washy on this. Um, but the bottom line is, obviously, fans have the right to boo. I'm never, I would never say they don't. They're putting their hard-earned money out there. They're, you know, and there is an argument to be made that they're more invested than the players. I know Justin Fields from the Bears kind of said the opposite. You know, hey, I know how hard these guys work. And I get it. The players are putting their lives on the line, right? Like their physical well-being on the line. But when the game's over, players are able to move on, right? And the fact is fans, a lot of times fans take the losses harder than the players. And that that is part of what creates this weird dynamic because the players, the fans are so invested. I think, I think fans take it. Yeah, Scott, I think, I think fans are affected more by these yeah. losses. I mean, l- listen, I mean, obviously players want to win the game, but I, I think what it comes down to is it affects them more as a city. You know, these guys are playing for their livelihood and jobs and, and this and that. And, and some players do care about the city. I'm not saying they don't, but fans are just more passionate about their teams. So, you know, I can totally understand that. And let's be honest, I mean – you know, we're not talking about uh, everyone's at the best state of mind. I mean, many of those fans are in the meeting lot at 6 a.m. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They've, uh, you know, probably had a few cold ones or yeah. more than a few. And it's not like the best decisions are always being made, as as we have seen time and time again. And, you know, they are just they can't believe what they just saw. I mean, it, it's tough to blame them for reacting like that. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, I certainly would rather uh, see booze than people throwing stuff on the field. That that's number one. Um, oh yeah, yeah, there's but, no doubt about you know, that. It, it, yeah, I think what's you know what's interesting is, and I was I had this conversation with someone the other day is you know like what Miles Garrett did, you know, and we know this being in the business, there's usually a little bit of a, a shutdown period right before players talk, and usually that's where they can you know. Uh, let the game kind of get away from them and, and, you know, PR members want to make sure that they don't say things like that. There's typically that, that period where, you know, you, you remember Baker Mayfield after Miles right. Garrett and the helmet situation, he spoke right away. So basically, you know what I'm saying? Like usually I know in the NBA, there's a ton of time that goes in between the end of the game and, and when the players talk, because their goal as a, as a, a franchise is to make sure the players don't say things that are controversial. On the other hand, we look forward. We look forward to things like that, right? Because that's what makes the stories. I mean, we don't like the "Hey, we're taking it one game at a time" cliches all the time. No, you're right. I I, I want to say that it was probably 25 minutes after the game before Miles talked. So that's a decent amount. And I'll tell you that Miles is. I don't know if "calculated" is the right word, but like he knows what he says, and, and I have no doubt that he knew what he was saying at the time. And I think Agreed. he was. And I, I and I haven't talked to him since then, but like I believe he was trying to send a message, like, "Hey, stick with us." Now, maybe he didn't convey, maybe it didn't come across the way he had hoped. Um, I'm, I'm, my guess is he didn't expect the reaction to be what it was. Um, but I think I really believe that he knew what he was saying and he had a purpose to what he was saying. It just might have not had the outcome that he expected it to have. And you're right about the emotions. So, like, I get it. You, like, if you're caught, like, 
I bet if you asked the fans right now, right, and it's calm before the storm, hey, would you boo your team? I bet a bunch would say no that actually did boo on Sunday. So I get it. You get caught up in the moment. Um, so, yeah, again, I, I'm not blaming the fans for that. I just think it's an interesting discussion. And I and I don't – the people that say, hey, I would never boo my team, like, I don't have a problem with that either. Like, I, I think there's something to be said for that philosophy. Now, that doesn't mean you can't criticize your team, right? But you can say, this guy's not – he didn't play well. I think they need a new coach. So you can say all those things without actually booing. Um, but I just think it's two different ways. I guess it's just two different ways to approach fandom. Yeah, you, you make a good point. I know it was about 25 minutes, so I, I maybe I wasn't clear on that. I guess my point is, is that, and it kind of goes to what you just said, is that Garrett probably wouldn't have said that the next day, just as fans maybe wouldn't have booed yeah. the next day because, you know, you're a, a day away from the event that actually took place. You know, you're yeah. you're fired up. I mean, you know, it's, it's just kind of how you react in, in the moment. That's yeah. the thing. We sit here, not just you and me, but the entire world sits and reacts and plays, you know, Monday morning quarterback to things that happen in the heat of the moment. I, yeah, I think that's completely fair to say, Chud. And the last point I want to make on this, like, I, I do think Miles is trying to get across that there's a human nature to being a player, right? And you just don't like getting booed. Yeah, I, I don't like seeing people criticize me on Twitter. It doesn't mean they can't. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. Some of the people are wrong, but like you just don't like seeing it, right? Like nobody likes no. to criticize. Nobody like so I'm sure the players don't like getting booed. And I flash back to Baker last year. They beat the Lions. Baker was booed, and Baker didn't talk to the media afterward. Yeah. And you know, not only he played poorly, obviously, which is why he got booed, but he probably was trying not to say something about the fans booing him. So I my point is guys can take it personally. And Maybe the fans don't care and they don't have to care. Um, but I think that is something worth considering is, hey, you you can't have an effect on the guys you hope are playing well and hope they win games for you. Um, some guys really might be affected by the boom. And you can argue, hey, it doesn't matter. They're getting paid millions of dollars. They got to put up with it. And that's true. But it doesn't take the personal side out of it. Yeah. I, uh, I wish I saved every email that uh, I have seen that either I've gotten or people at our station have gotten, I could have written a book and made a lot of money because people would read it and just be like, I cannot believe people took the time to write that. And, and some of them are vicious. So you're I right. Know. Yeah. You, you, you don't want to be criticized. No doubt. All right, let's move on uh, to, unless you have anything else, you're ready to no, move on. Tonight? Yeah. yeah let's All go. right. So uh, obviously recording this on Thursday here, tonight's tonight, Thursday night football, eight fifteen. Uh, Browns are uh, favored by I've seen that I've seen five and a half at one point. I've seen it down to four and a half. I saw four this morning. Uh, number one, are, are you surprised they're favored by that much? I am. And I had not seen it go back down to four. I'd seen it jump up from like three and a half to five and a half or six. Um, and that surprised me. I couldn't figure out why there was a big jump there. Um, you know, I know the Steelers have issues, but you know, we also we just talked about all the issues the Browns had against the Jets. So um, yeah, I was surprised that it got to that to be that big. Three and a half seems kind of right to me, um, but the fact that it had jumped higher surprised me. Yeah, he 
Yeah, I'm pretty surprised by it as well. I, I think the highlight for me, the reason why is 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 Mitch Trubisky. I think if you know if the Steelers had a an elite quarterback, it would not be the case. Yeah, and TJ Watt, right? I mean, I know defensive oh, yeah. players don't move the line a lot. Um, but him not being there, I, I don't know if you went I don't know if you saw the Steelers Patriots game last week, but I went back and watched it and the pass rush just isn't as scary without TJ Watt. Um you know, they got Highsmith, who's playing pretty well for him. Um, but it's just you they just miss him. And it's obvious. And Mac Jones had time to throw for New England. And then you flip it and you have an offense that just isn't or hasn't been through two games. Very potent. And they have weapons, right? Najee Harris is a good running back. Um, they got George Pickens, the rookie. Um, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, a tight end or a receiver. They got a good tight end. And they're just not explosive. And that's because Trubisky's not throwing the ball downfield and not getting the ball to those guys enough. So um, it's certainly a winnable game, the way the Steelers have played the first two games. And I don't know if there's a whole lot of reason to think that the Steelers will be that much different. I mean, Trubisky talked this week about how he needs to take more shots downfield. Obviously, this would be a good week to do it, given the Browns' um, defensive breakdowns we've seen. but there's just at least through two games, there's not a whole lot of reason to think that the Steelers will be very explosive. And if that's the case, um, then again, the Browns should be in this game. It should be a real, you know, the Browns should have every chance to win this game. We talked about it all morning long on go the morning show that I anchor on channel three cheap plug. But uh, anyway, the wind, I mean, it has been windy. The lake, uh, I, I, it, it is very windy out there, and, and Holly said it's going to continue to be windy all day. How do you think that affects the game? Usually wind is more of an issue than rain, isn't it? Yeah, that's interesting. I had not um, I had not seen that, but I trust Holly. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, if it's windy, then it affects everything, right? It affects the kicking. It affects the throwing. It affects the downfield throwing. I think it leads to more running, and we know that the Browns have a really strong running attack. Pittsburgh's offensive line is not as good as Cleveland's offensive line. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, I think that just leads to a more close to the best game if it keeps up like that. Cause yeah, we've seen the wind be a big factor on the late front. And especially if you're playing to prevent, to not turn the ball over, right. Which we know that all coaches like to do that, but Kevin Stefanski really emphasizes that Jacoby Rousset's a guy that doesn't take a lot of chances. All of a sudden it can become a game that's run, run, screen pass, right? Bubble screen, like you really don't put the ball up, um, you know, just so you keep the ball out of harm's way. And that could certainly change uh, the way the game is called. Yeah, you got to figure the the Browns recipe is going to want to be, you know, control time of possession, run the ball, same blueprint kind of that you saw against Carolina. Uh, You know, obviously they they ran well last week, Chubb outstanding. So you got to figure – at the end of the day, though, I, I think this game for the Browns is, is won or lost by their defense. Yeah, I agree. If they don't give up, right? I, I think they'll do okay against Harris. I mean, he's a good running back, but I think the Browns will be okay. To me, it's can they handle those three receivers, not have the breakdowns in the back end, uh, and get some pressure on Mitch. And, you know, Trubisky runs well, um, so he can escape pressure. They can also have some design runs. They haven't had a lot of them, I don't think, in the first two weeks, but that's something you could see added. And then how do the Browns – are the Browns able to get pressure on Trubisky without Jadavion Clowney? 
Miles Garrett will play. There's a little bit of a question mark early in the week. He had a neck injury, didn't practice Tuesday, but he's going to play, um, which is huge for the Browns, obviously. The same with Joe Batonio, and it looks like right tackle Jack Conklin is going to make his season de- debut after that torn patellar at the end of last year. Um, but Miles Garrett, you know, t- without Jadavion Clowney, the Steelers are going to focus on stopping Garrett. Can he beat the double teams? And maybe just as importantly, can the rookies on the other side, Alex Wright, Isaiah Thomas, um, Isaac, Isaac Rochelle isn't a rookie, but he's up off the practice squad. Can they create pressure on the other side when they get their one-on-one matchups? Or do you have to blitz a JOK or a Taki Taki, right? Like you got to figure out a way to generate some kind of pass rush without Jadavian Clowney and with the expectation that the Steelers do everything in their power to limit Garrett's effectiveness. The Browns are seven and two all time at home on Thursday night. I like that. Uh, I do think this is going to be a close game looking at the numbers that, you know, the over under, I saw 38 and a half. I mean, that's, that is low, low Steelers are five and one against the spread in their last six games in this series. Uh, They're three, one and one against the spread in their last five games. The Browns are one in five against the spread in their last six home games. I mean, that all, that all kind of tells you right there. Oh, the Browns are three and seven against the spread in their last 10 games. All of that right there, and, you know, you know how much I – I mean, Vegas just right. is always pretty pretty closer on the money, right? That just leads me to believe this is going to be kind of a low-scoring Browns close win or, you know, the, the Steelers get a, a close win. And if that makes sense, like, I, I just think that, you know, if the Browns win uh, with the way the Steelers have covered it, you know, it might be within that four or five, three-point range. Um, I, I just think it's going to be a tight game. I do too. I, I do too. I, I, you know, I mean, we see a lot of close games in this series. Well, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure the Steelers are blowing out the Browns plenty of times, but it feels like Brown when the Browns win, it's close, you know, not excluding that playoff game in 2020. Um, yeah, it sets up like that. I, I think this style of play, Chud, is you're not going to see a ton of big plays. Like we said, close to the vest. Um, Thursday night, things are sometimes a little – um, I don't know, clumsy, right? Just because guys aren't recovered yet from the game Sunday, haven't had a whole lot of time to prepare. Um, you see some mistakes, and that can lead to, you know, I mean, it can lead to big plays, I guess. But I think you see a lot of just uglier games on Thursday night. So I'm with you. I, I think it's going to be um, low scoring, kind of a slugfest. How did you feel Brissett did the other day, and, and how do you think he'll respond tonight? Yeah, I thought he was fantastic. You know, I mean, if you're a Browns fan watching that opener, I think the one of the maybe the biggest concern was, man, can can the Browns win games with Brissett playing like that? And he looked slow in in Carolina, and I thought he looked much quicker running the ball. And I asked him, you know, he scrambled for like 43 yards. I asked him, I said, man, you look quicker from the press box. Did it feel that way? He kind of laughed and he said, "No," nah. he goes, "I'm just slow." Um, but I thought he showed quick enough feet that he's going to be able to do some things in a play action game and in the scrambling that I wasn't sure he could after watching him in Carolina. And I thought he threw it great. I mean, I, for a long time, his only incompletion was like DPJ not getting his feet inbounds in the end zone. Um, you know, the last interception, obviously it's bad to end the game on an interception. That's a tough spot, right? You got to make a throw. The jets drop 10 guys in coverage, right? Nobody's going to be running free. Um, you know, you can't – I don't think you could just say we're going to kick a 70-yard field goal. 
Like you had to pick up 10 or 15 yards and he tried to make a throw and Cooper looked like he was open and the safety undercut it. So um, I, I thought Brissett played really well. And if he plays at that level, um, they're going to have a chance to win more games than I thought they would um, when the season started. Sure. One topic I've had with many people this week, and I don't want to get into it. I, let, let's wait till another time because um, I don't want to get in depth in it. Yeah. Maybe a quick comment, but I'm telling you, I'm tired. Of, I'm tired of the, the talk of how talented this team is. And I, I want to see W's, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say, Oh, they're so talented, but like, it's time to just get a string of W's Scott. Yeah. Chuck, that's completely fair enough. And I, I, Right, that's completely fair. And if the wins don't follow, then you have to start questioning whether or not the talent is there, right? Um, if it's a GM Andrew Barry talent acquisition, or if the the reason they're not winning is a coaching issue, right? I mean, that's obviously a deep, long discussion. Um, right. But if you don't win, it's got to be one of those two things, right? Either they misjudge the talent, or they're not getting the most out of the talent. All right, you ready for the prediction? Yep. All right. I think it's my turn to go first, isn't it? Or, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm 0-2, man. You're 1-1. One one. Yeah. Um, I was off to a much better start last year, so I got I got to hit this one because 0-3, that's not a good look, right? <laughs> it's um, tough to recover. All right, tough to recover from 0-3. I will say, I mean, you know, I I think it's fair to say that we pretty much had last week right. I mean, yeah. let's let's be honest. Everything up until that collapse went exactly kind of how I thought it would go, and you thought it would go. I mean, they're up by 13 points. It, you know, even if he takes the knee, they're up by seven, whatever. I I mean, basically, we, we didn't think the Jets would just give up and not show up. But, you know, I think I said last week I would be – the only thing that would su- surprise me would have been a Jets blowout, which right. didn't happen. I comfortably felt they would win the game, so I admit that. I didn't think they'd lose. That said, we we did say we wouldn't be shocked or the world would end if the Jets did come away with like a close win or something, and that's what happened. So, uh, obviously, you know, one thing I, I didn't take into account, you know how you just brought it up and I always say, hey, you got to show me. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I didn't take enough into this, and I don't know if I should have or not, but the fact that Flacco owns the Browns, yeah. I just figured that was a Ravens thing. I mean, I, I don't think I gave that guy enough credit, and, uh, you know, he alone – I think proved a lot of people wrong. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Judd. Like I still knew he could throw it. Um, and I thought the Browns would be able to get to him, and they didn't get to him as much as I thought they would. And part of that was Clowney going out with the ankle injury in the third quarter. Um, but, yeah, a, a lesser quarterback doesn't make the throws to win the game. And it's not just a 66-yarder where Corey Davis was wide open. I mean, he made throws on that last drive to win the game. He was composed. He stood tall in the pocket. Yeah, you know. He's he's one of the top backups in the league. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, and he played really well, especially late, you know. But yeah, I mean, I had the Browns 24-14. If Chubb takes a knee, it's twenty. They end the game twenty four seventeen, right? So yeah, we both yeah, did. So we, we were had both the same right score. there. Yeah, we we're both we, right there. We, we were both right there. I I'm still in shock. Anyway, all right. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'll go first, and I'm just gonna lay it on the line and say that. You know, I don't, again, this could go either way. And I know that that seems cliche or an easy way out. I don't think we would be surprised if if the Steelers won this game. I mean, 
you know, they have owned us historically here since we've been back in 99. I know we got the playoff win and this and that, but so you, you never, you, you never think that the Steelers can't win this game. That said, right. I'm going to give the Browns the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they take that loss and they come out angry tonight and they get it done. And I, I, you know, do I feel, you know, 10 out of 10 comfortable about, about it? No, but I'm going to go with the Browns. Another reason is the last thing I want is to be 0-3 by picking the Steelers <laughs> to win and then the Browns win because I would not be able to handle that, okay? I so it, it, there's a lot of reasons why, but I'm going to go 23-21 Browns. Uh, you know, kind of a – I think it, it does go over. So that would be 44. Yeah. So that would go over. I, I think it's a trap. I think um, many people will pick the under in this one. I don't know. I, that, that's just a guess. Again, it could be 10-7 and I'm way off. But I'm going to go 23-21 Browns. Yeah, I think that's a solid pick. You know, it's interesting. Obviously, Vegas knows way more about the over-under than I do. It feels like – like, I think the Browns – like, I've had people text me the last few weeks saying, take the under. And I think both games got to the over because the Browns gave up 17 points in the fourth quarter in both games, right? Like, yeah. they were they were low-scoring, low-scoring, and then there's a little explosion. It's tough to it's tough to keep it under the under, and I know gamblers say it's hard to root for the under just because so much stuff can go wrong, right? You're, yep. you're rooting for a boring game and three and outs and punts and all that kind of thing. Um, having said all that, and I didn't pay attention to the over under when I made my score, um, but I, I go I got Browns twenty, Steelers seventeen, so that's right under um, right under the over under. I think it's been close. I, I do think the Browns are able to bounce back. Um, I have questions about it, but I think they wind up getting it done. I, I just don't think um, the Steelers are explosive, and that keeps the Browns in the game, and the Browns figure out a way to get it done. Yeah. I, I, so we're, we're both going Browns. Isn't it crazy, too, last year, uh, you know, the Steelers quarterback and the Browns quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger and Baker Mayfield, right? Right. right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, this is the first time – I mean, it's the first time since 04 that Ben hasn't been on that roster, right? I mean, I know he was hurt a couple times, but it's a big change. His first Browns Steelers game um, in a long, long time without a lot of mention about Ben because either he was playing and owned the Browns or he wasn't playing and you thought, hey, the Browns have a chance. So um, yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, I think Mitch Trubisky is a solid player. Um, but I know the people in Pittsburgh are pretty close to giving up on him and ready for um, Kenny Pickett just because he yeah. hasn't made the big throws and it, he hasn't taken those chances downfield. And mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see if that changes Thursday night. Yeah, a lot of people are high on Pickett, no doubt. Um, and let's not forget, they went into Cincinnati and uh, won in week one. So, um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting. Hopefully the Browns get it done. And next week we're talking about a win. There you go. Chad, thanks for all the time, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, hopefully you have, this gets the fans ready for uh, tonight's game. Big night, prime time, Thursday. Heated or hated rival in the Steelers. So a lot to look forward to. And then if the Browns get a win, the fans can uh, celebrate all weekend, right? It's a long weekend to celebrate. So, yeah, you'll be you'll you'll be going to bed about the time I'm getting up. So uh, yeah, you're right. That's exactly people, right, Chad. You should text. Yeah, we, I should text you when I'm going to sleep tomorrow night or that's whatever right. tomorrow morning. Turn turn on go. Turn on. Yeah, I will. In the morning, everyone. We'll we'll have the recap. I'll fall asleep to you talking about the game.
Um, all right. So thank you, Chad. Thanks everybody for listening. This has been another episode of the zone coverage podcast, and you can read all my work at brownzone.com. Thank you.